if I should wake before I die. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Which of us is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a small child over to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I assure you, unless you turn from your sin and become like a little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A Buddhist monk who taught Chinese philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania said this, as a Christian, you teach your children to pray all wrong. You teach them to pray, if I should die before I wake. But it would be much better if you taught them to pray, if I should wake before I die. The monk went on to point out that most of the people he knew were half awake when they ought to be asleep, but even worse, when they were asleep, they were half awake. No one seemed to be totally alive. Nobody seemed to be turned on to what was going on around them. Several years ago, my friend Tony Campola, who was a university professor, once picked a student out on the front row of his class, and he said this, young man, how long have you lived? And the student asked, what do you mean? Tony said, how long have you lived? And the student said, 23 years. Tony snapped back, no, no, no. That's how long your heart's been pumping blood. That's not how long you've lived. I remember a couple of things. Several years ago with my friend Casey Treat, we climbed Mount Rainier in Seattle. It is the tallest mountain in the continental United States, almost 15,000 feet. And finally, as I stood on that mountaintop carrying a 70-pound pack and three layers of clothes in the ice and snow, I said to myself, Ricky boy, you're on top of Mount Rainier. And in one mystical magic moment, I took in that view. I lived that moment with such intensity, oh yeah, and a lot of pain, and focused on what was before me with such spiritual energy that if I lived a million years, that moment will be part of my consciousness for the rest of my life. I had another moment flying the Concorde SST supersonic from New York Kennedy to London doing Mach 2, twice the speed of sound, at 60,000 feet. That's 25 miles a minute. That will set your hair on fire. And I knew it would never happen again, and I'll remember it the rest of my life. It was one of those whoopee moments when I could look at the curvature of the earth, and I know I was on something very, very special. I was alive. Now, if I ask you that same question, as Tony asked that student, how long have you lived? Some of you would have to say, well, maybe an hour, uh, maybe five minutes, because for most people, their life has been the meaningless passage of time between all too few moments when you were genuinely alive. Now, that's a sad commentary. Most of us don't live as we should. We just let it slip away from us. We don't know where our life has gone. Life slips by. Even James, the apostle, said it's a vapor, just appears for the moment, and then poof, it's gone. And you wonder, what have I done? What have I not done? 
with my life. All of us who are grown need to ask ourselves whether we have lived life. The only people I see living life with any degree of joyful spontaneity are kids, children. That's why Jesus said that unless you become like a little child, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Children are so intense, they cry with agony, they laugh with joy and delight. They're turned on to what life is all about. And Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you can forget entering the kingdom of heaven. Unless you can approach life with their kind of enthusiasm, you can't be part of what I'm about. Wow. So what did Jesus see in children? Well, let me give you a couple of simple thoughts. You that have kids, you can kind of catch on. Children have no doubt about their importance. They have no doubt about their real importance. I think Jesus saw kids who had no doubt about their own importance. People who worried about their self-image, their self-worth, their value, their popularity, usually go through being overly concerned about themselves. Self-conscious, self-centered, selfish, I could go on. One day during a thunderstorm, lightning was flashing, thunder was roaring. A father went in to check on his five-year-old daughter. He found that little daughter standing on the window sill, leaning spread eagle against the glass. And the father said, Jennifer, what are you doing? She said, I think God's trying to take my picture. <laughs> Here's a little girl who knows who she is. She knows her value. She knows her worth. And folks, if you're going to live life fully, you've got to feel good about yourself. Unfortunately, most people I know are pretty down on themselves. And that's one of the reasons Jesus came. Jesus came into the world to do something that would enable you and me to feel differently about ourselves. Most people I know can name all of the things in their life that are wrong. If you don't know, people will tell you. And they usually beat themselves up and say, there's so much wrong with me. Well, of course there is. There's a lot wrong with you and there's a lot wrong with me too. But there's good news in this gospel. Jesus himself came into the world not only to die for our sin, but to absorb in himself everything that's dirty and ugly and negative about you and to free us from all that. Jesus not only cleanses you from the dark side of your personality and removes those things that ought not to be there, but he imputes to you and to me his righteousness. That's a heavy thought. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the angels, get out of the way. I mean, the Bible says they are only messengers for us who are heirs of salvation. You know, maybe I'll say, hey, get me a hamburger at Whataburger. You know, I'm going to go before the seat of Christ. I'm going to look at God the Father, and I'm just going to stand there. I'm not going to say anything because I won't have to, because Jesus will be there. And he will say, Father, I would like you to meet my friend Rick, the perfect one. I, I hope my wife hears that. And some of you are thinking, how can you say that? Because the Bible says your sins have been blotted out. They're buried in the deepest sea. They will be remembered no more. Jesus will present you before his father spotless, without blemish. And all the things about yourself that you don't like, Jesus says, let me take them on myself and make them my own. 
The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became what you and I are so we could become what he is. Wow. Now, if you were to have psychotherapy, after a short time, you might feel a little better because everything negative about you kind of gets transferred over to the therapist. So the therapist is feeling terrible. The patient is feeling good because through the process of discussion, everything negative about you has been moved over to the psychiatrist. Trouble is, it doesn't last very long. But Jesus is the ultimate counselor, the ultimate psychotherapist, who takes on himself everything dirty, shameful, and ugly about you. He takes it on himself. He makes it his own. That's the good news of the gospel. It's an exchange. He became what you are so you can become what he is. You have to have the childlike freedom that comes with deliverance from all that's negative and dark. You're able to live life passionately, intensely, and with great excitement and without guilt, shame, or condemnation. In fact, the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, Sparky. Buckle up there. Get your chin up. Get out of being a Debbie Downer or whatever it is. That's not, you're not being childlike. God's made you free. God's transformed you. He's made you in his sight just like he is. And that's how the Father sees you. Second thought. Children have a quality of spontaneous joy. A daddy took his young son to Disneyland. And as they were leaving, the son said, Dad, I want another ride on Space Mountain. And his dad says, now, wait a minute, Billy. I'm out of money and I'm out of time. And the little boy said, but Jesus wants me to go. And the dad says, what do you mean? And the little guy says, well, the pastor at church said, whatever we feel, Jesus feels. When we cry, he cries. The pastor said that Jesus feels every emotion that we do. And the dad said, well, that's right, but so what? And the little boy said, well, if he feels every emotion I have, then when I'm laughing on Space Mountain, he's having a good time too. So I think he would enjoy if I had another ride on Space Mountain. <laughs> that's not bad theology. Folks, we have a God who wants us to be freed from the burdens that keep us from enjoying life and living it intensely. He wants to fill us with an excitement a childlike joy that enables us to live life with incredible, spontaneous enthusiasm and joy. Do you have that in your life? That's what Christianity is mostly about. It's not mainly about heaven. I mean, heaven's for dead people. I got to live here on earth until I die. I'm not excited about going. People have asked me many times, what do you want people to say at your funeral? I want them to say, look, he's moving. See? So heaven, that's for the Christian who's finished his life on earth. No, Christianity is not mainly about heaven. It's about Jesus who can invade your life and mine and create in us a spontaneous excitement about living. That's why you need to surrender to the Lord. G.K. Chesterton once said, I think God is the only child left in the universe and all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. What a good line. Hey, you throw a child up in the air or bounce them off your knee 
And when you sit them back on the floor, the first thing that kid's going to say, do it again. Throw him in the air, catch him, bounce him off your knees, set him on the floor. He's going to yell again, do it again. And if you do it 50 times, the 50th time that kid is still yelling hysterically, do it again, do it again. That's the excitement of a little child. Where did that go in you? How did God create daisies? Well, I guess like a child. He created one daisy, and creation clapped and said, do it again, God, do it again. So he created daisy number two. And something probably within God said, do it again. And he created daisy number three and four and 50 billion trillion daisies later. See, the great God of the universe is still creating with childlike excitement and joy, maybe even yelling, do it again. Can some of you remember when you were a kid, so full of life and dynamic, but now it's kind of grown dull and slow and boring? Well, it's no wonder Jesus says, look, why don't you come to me and be born again? Why don't you become like a little child once again? Surrender to me. Allow me into your life. I am resurrected from the dead. I will take possession of you and change you and give you a sense of worth so you'll be freed from the burdens of negativism and failure. I will fill you with my joy and love and excitement so that you'll know joy like you've never known it before. That's why the gospel is good news. A third thought, children have absolute confidence in the future. Think about that. That's a third childlike quality that comes to all of us who are fully alive in the Lord. Absolute confidence in the future, even if it's bad now. See, all young children, whether in a ghetto or an affluent neighborhood, until society and the culture beats them down, believe in the future. Just ask any kid, any kid of any race or background, what do you want to be when you grow up? And without a doubt, they'll say a teacher, an astronaut, a doctor, a professional basketball player. See, they believe in the future. But as they grow older, that ugly realism of people around them, maybe even family, sets in. And parents, sometimes, and people will try to kill that kid's dream. But the good news of the gospel is we have a Jesus who creates dreams and visions for us and who will empower us to fulfill them no matter what the obstacle. To paraphrase scripture, when the young no longer dream dreams and the old no longer have vision, people perish. See, children, children believe that they can do something incredible with their life. There are no limits to them they can be anything. And I want to say to you that Jesus who imparts spontaneous joy and glorious visions of the future to kids can impart that to you. Sadly, most people don't see a future. You can tell when a person's old, when his memories of the past are more precious than a vision of the future. And you can become cynical when you don't believe in tomorrow. I want to tell you about the God who wants to make you believe in the future even when you're old. Abraham was a hundred years old when God gave him a vision. And you're never too old 
or too young like Jeremiah to surrender to a God who will not only make you believe in yourself, but believe that the future will be better than the past. I believe that. I think my best days are ahead of me. I personally think that modern sociology and psychology are too oriented to the past. They say if you want to understand somebody, you've got to understand where he's come from, his background. What's more important than your background? More important than my past? Or more important than how I was reared? Is my vision of the future, your vision of the future? Do you have one? A person is more controlled by his vision of tomorrow than his dreams of yesterday. So how do you start dreaming and never stop? Number one, believe God has a plan to do good things in your life for crying out loud. So do you really believe that God has good things in store for you in the future? Have you declared God's going with you into your tomorrows? Listen to the great prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You may be going through hell right now. It may be a dark Gethsemane, but you've got a future because God said so. When you're worried about tomorrow, stand on this word. Your situation may not look good right now, but the word of God says... I have a good plan for your life. I have a hope and a future for you. So believe that God wants to do good things for you and that he's got good plans for your life and future. Second, don't let your circumstances stop you from dreaming. You're never too young. You're never too old. Mozart wrote a symphony at age six. Shane Gold won Olympic gold at age 12. Ray Kroc began the franchise called McDonald's at age 57. Colonel Sanders founded Kentucky Fried Chicken at age 65 on Social Security. I mean, I'm tired of hearing about your retirement. You might as well go lay down and die. That's why as long as I live, I want to keep dreaming. And when I'm an old man, I still want to be passing on a dream to a younger generation. You're never too old, you're never too young to dream. Don't concentrate on the shortage of resources and money. There's no shortage of money. If we divided all the money we have in the world, we'd all have 12 million bucks a person. Wow, you know, if you're sitting next to your wife or boyfriend, you tell them, no shortage of money. Where's the shortage? Dreams and vision. Dreams will attract resources. Stop looking at your skin color or your race or your background and saying, I can't dream because I'm not this color or I'm not this race or because I don't have a college education or because I'm a single parent. Four out of the top 10 Fortune 500 companies are run by immigrants. They came to this country with a dream, believing it could come true. Don't stop dreaming. And let me say this, we just watched the SpaceX rocket go up with two astronauts, you know, sponsored in most part by Elon Musk. He came from South Africa, immigrated to Canada, then down to America. 
And where did he get his billions? As a college kid. He was a co-partner with a guy and they started PayPal and created billions of dollars. Only in this country. And I think people suck their thumbs, sit around, wait on somebody to do something for them, and they don't dream. They don't dream of something better. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit whatever you do to the Lord, and so shall your plans succeed. Dreams do come true. Would, I know you're probably sitting in your house or somewhere. Say out loud with me. My dreams have an impact on my life, my future, and my destiny. I want to say it again. Can you say it again? Say, my dreams have an impact on my life, my future, and my destiny. See, the gospel makes people fully alive and makes us into little children. The gospel makes us believe in ourselves, makes us spontaneously joyful, and makes us believe in the future. So let me challenge you right now, be fully alive, be fully there. Let Jesus have his way in you and with you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.